tonight on this week's edition of the Milt Rosenberg podcast. Your host is, surprisingly enough, Milt Rosenberg. And more important by far is the list of guests. They are all politically active and politically profoundly interested and well-informed. To our old friends who've been here before, well, on this podcast, only Joe Morris has been here before. Richard Baer is an old friend from our radio program, and Mary Hartigan joins us for the first time. It would not be unfair to say that Mary Hartigan is by far the most liberal of you. Does that suit and please you, Mary? Sure. <laughs> All right. And uh, who is the most conservative, Joe Morris or Richard Baer? We'll leave that to our listeners as we continue. Far more important than mere designations of that sort is uh, the set of questions and the set of issues that we want to concern ourselves with tonight. And the one that I'm primarily concerned with is the United States and the state of the state or the state of the nation. These are rather raucous and difficult times. One thinks of all the brouhaha about um, the white cops and the dead black victims, if they are victims. Uh, One thinks, of course, about the continuing struggle Uh, in national politics over Obamacare, the predictions of some on the right that it may yet be repealed or at least dismantled in large part. One thinks, of course, about our involvement in world affairs and the way in which we seem to have come a cropper with regard to our role in the Middle East. Um, And one thinks about yet other matters. What do you think about Joe Morris these days? Well, I, I think a, a lot about the global situation. I worry that uh, uh, the uh, dogs of war are assembling, uh, yipping uh, until they're unleashed, uh, and not just in the Middle East, although certainly there. Um, I, I'm concerned that we, meaning the United States and the West, have done an inadequate job to deter the Iranians from acquiring nuclear weapons that I think they are inclined to use uh, uh, for cataclysmic uh, reasons uh, that suit their their view of civilization and their theological needs, uh, I, I worry that the United States has become uh, a uh, a limp uh, uh, deterrent force against aggression in the world. It's it's red lines and it's uh, th- threats uh, not taken seriously. I think that if there's a lesson of the last century, the 20th century, it is that. Uh, weakness in the face of aggression is a very dangerous uh, posture to have, and I fear that that's what we're communicating, uh, blazing wild new trails along the way of of being dangerous as a friend and uh, uh, irresolute as an enemy. Uh, it's a, This is a very dangerous and unhappy time to be an ally of the United States, and I hope that uh, in the remaining two years of Mr. Obama's administration, he devotes some serious attention to changing that. More of all of this and on. It's very interesting that you've started on that tack uh, because uh, our second guest, Mary Hartigan, has a very strong interest as well in foreign affairs and strategic issues and so on. Uh, do you have the same worries that Joe does? I think I predict you don't. Well, um, I have a parallel worry, which Let's is that when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Uh huh. And. Um, we have the best equipped, best led military in the world. We have we spend a an, an inordinate amount of money given the results 
that we get as far as weapon systems and and products. Um, and I worry that we have are so enthralled to the defense contracting industry that we don't properly equip our troops, that we don't equip them for either their strategic or tactical missions. Um, and you can talk about second engines to airplanes, to the fact that the helmets that our combat troops wear um, provide inadequate protection against traumatic brain injury, and it's been known for years, and nothing gets done about it. Um, to pretty much down the list, and I really think we need Truman commissions to go in and to do a thorough audit of the defense contractors and all of the outside people that we have supplying um, goods and services to our military. But I think there's no political will for that because of the K Street project, where they kick back a portion of what they get to the political campaigns. Now, it started as a Republican-led and dominated um, uh, program, but it's metastasized into the wider political spectrum. How interesting. I thought when you started that you were going to say, if you, you have a hammer, all you see is nails that need pounding. I thought you were going on to say, you were, would be going on to say that there are other ways we can play foreign policy and we ought to be doing soft power rather than just hard power. But that is the position. Of course, that's true, too. Um, I mean, I think that it's. I think that we have inadequately dealt with many of our soft power issues, but we're hamstrung by a, an inadequate um, strategic vision of what it is that we are trying to gain because our leading lights see that the only that greed is good and that the only thing that America should be doing is producing more wealth. And so that hamstrings us in what we should be doing as far as our foreign policy is, because you need to have a moral compass and a, a, and a strategic vision about how you see your country in order to adequately engage every tool that is in our toolbox. Yeah. I thought we would probably begin tonight with a lot of so-called domestic issues, <clears throat> and I even mentioned a few of them, but interestingly, we wound up in the middle of foreign policy, which is fine by me. We'll get to the other stuff uh, easily in time. Uh, let's uh, have direct response on all of this, or wherever he wants to go with it, from Richard Baer. Okay. Um, I, I think that there is a different issue right now with defense. Actually, defense spending as a share of all government spending, as a share of gross domestic product, is dramatically down, uh, which is natural, actually, in a, in given American historical cycles. After you fight wars that involve significant American forces, when you withdraw those forces, total expenditures drop because it's very expensive to mm -hmm. keep troops overseas. Um, but the size of the American military right now is much smaller than it has been in decades. Uh, during the Vietnam era, when the country was 200 million people, there were three and a half million in the armed forces. Uh, we are now headed for a military in a country with 320 million people. That's going to be about 1.2 million, down from about 1.4, 1.5 million now. Um, but we I, still I have the largest military force the largest in the military, world. But, but given sort of the vacuum of leadership, 
Yeah. Uh, and the mixed signals that this administration has given in terms of— And we are of firing generals, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, well, but, and you're outsourcing a ton of jobs that used to be done by by military uh-huh. people to outside contractors. So I don't think that that number we actually have, reflects a apples-to-apples comparison. The way in which we operated in Iraq and Afghanistan involved a lot of contractors, to be sure. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, but the size of the real American military force— can be argued right now is not sufficient for the challenges America faces if it wants to face those challenges. And that's an issue whether this administration really has an interest in them. Uh, There are a lot of American allies, exactly like Joe says, who thinks that the signals that we are now giving to countries around the world is that we are disengaging. Well, Uh, let us, since we've wound up there inevitably in military and strategic affairs and inevitably uh, focusing particularly on the Middle East, let us come directly to that which is so frightening or so worrisome about the Middle East, namely the emergence and the rise and I don't know why. Some call it ISIS, and some call it ISIL, and some just call it uh, Islamic State, and so on. But we know what we're talking about. Uh, they insist that they are a caliphate, and they really are a new country, and they hope to be the total Muslim country for all the world. I rather doubt that that will happen. But meanwhile, they are a very serious and very scary bunch. Well, they, they, conceptually, that's precisely how they conceive of themselves, as, as the caliphate. There's yeah. only one. It's not a country. It's, no. It is a, it is a, uh, a, a supernational, supra And by ultimate vision, regime. it would be the, all and of the world. Of course. We, and, and, the, and, pop, and, the, proper, uh, the proper goal of um, <laughs> serious Muslims is, we are told by them, to make all the world Muslim. Uh, the, the, the reason for the confusion about his name is, is precisely because his name changed. At an earlier time in his life, it called itself in Arabic, the Islamic State, uh, in Iraq, and the Levant, or in Iraq and Syria, or yeah. Iraq and the Al Shams, the West, uh, meaning the West of the land between the rivers, uh, and then so thus ISIS or ISIL, meaning the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and and then eventually dropping that, the pretense that for just IS, they, they, they may have a some geographic limitation to IS, uh, which implies the complete absence of a geographic limitation. Listen, I, I I think that that the the Middle East is a a microcosm uh, of the larger global policy problem that the United States has, and I think that Mary Hartigan has, has admirably stated the problem. Uh, we have uh, a, a excellent attention to technical detail when it comes to the creation of military force. We have a, we have a splendid hammer, uh, although I agree again with Mary Hartigan that we have paid woefully inadequate attention to the, to the physical, moral, familial safety of our troops, and this is this is this is not an issue on which you can just take the word of Mary Hardigan or Joe Morris. You have no less an authority of former Secretary of State Gates, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates, uh, saying that if, if he laments having uh, leaving office uh, himself, let alone his predecessors and successors, having attended adequately to 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 these issues, but. Mary Hardigan really put her finger on the on the heart of the matter when she when she decried the the, the strategic vision or the lack of it. I, I suspect she and I, she and I may have a little difference in agreement in little different difference in in defining what ought to be the strategic goals of the United States. I I for one see nothing wrong with wealth, the creation and distribution of wealth. It is what peaceful societies ought to do. 
it is what makes life better for everybody in a society, the generation of wealth and the uh, the, 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 the distribution of it through, through, through free and competitive uh, and, and voluntary means. Um, that's what makes that, that, that's what, what, what has made the American history so remarkable. Uh, the, the, the creation of a great deal of wealth and the, the diffusion of that wealth throughout a society uh, to a greater extent than any, any society previously in history. And, and, and that's a wonderful picture, that and, and, and creating broad uplands in which people may pursue, in the words of our declaration, happiness as they define it for themselves, is, is a wonderful set of goals for us domestically. We want a people who are free, who are pursuing goals that they define for themselves that are not defined for them by government. And, that and why is that bad internationally? It is not at all bad internationally. So you, the, you, the, the, you, but the, you the other, the other dimension, the, the outside... other dimension internationally is 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 that that we need to be attentive to threats from people who wish to deny those freedoms and those opportunities to us and to others on the global stage. And we do not have a strategic vision and so about where those threats come from. Dictators are the best way. Dictators you and think death that? squads. Do you really think that? Well, do you think that dictators? Of course, and death I don't. Squads? Well, so then, so then, what is it? That you think the United States should be doing differently today? The, the United States sh- should be using its both hard and soft power intelligently and consistently, predictably. There's nothing wrong. What have we been? What have we done unintelligently lately? We're absolutely unpredictable. Uh, we we, ah. we 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 insist that there are red lines. Those red lines get crossed, and we we, we respond in doing nothing. That's Obama we, and we have, Syria. We have yes. completely dismantled. Uh, all the meaningful tools of soft power. We we, we we do not have a robust diplomacy. We have next to no public diplomacy. Yeah. Uh, we have we have we have reduced the uh, public diplomacy efforts to what Newt Minow refers to as a the whisper of America, as opposed to a strong voice of America. Uh, that is not something that's peculiar to Mr. Obama. It goes back to the indeed this dismantling of USIA during the the Clinton administration. Uh, not cured during the intervening eight years of a, of a Bush administration, and certainly not cured in the in these six years of Mr. Obama's administration. Um, we 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 use our, we use our power poorly. We use our power in a way that confuses our allies and does nothing to deter our enemies. Well, there's a clear diagnosis. Do you agree, Richard Baer? Yeah, I think the the biggest strategic failure has been the administration's uh, attempt to seduce Iran into becoming a future American ally. Uh, which has been ridiculed uh, and viewed as uh, just extraordinary. What are, our me- what are our measures of seduction? What have we done? Uh, one is that we have basically kept continually made concessions during a nuclear talk process that's been going on for years without any meaningful concessions by the Iranians. At the, uh, the Iranians were, by UN resolutions, by UN resolutions, they are not allowed to have any operating centrifuges. And the United States and its negotiating partners, which seem desperate either for trade or to have some foreign policy success because everything else has been a failure, want to have some sort of deal. When they can't get a deal because they're not conceding fast enough, they just extend it out six or seven months, reduce sanctions in some ways to the Iranians' benefit, and at the same time, continue to move the plane. But why don't you credit uh, their reassurance? That what they're making in those centrifuges, as they whirl around and around and around in their thousands, that they are just generating material for peaceful uses of 
uh, atomic or nuclear energy. Yeah, they're the third largest energy producer in the world in terms of oil. If there's ever a country that does not need nuclear power. I mean, one of the excuses they used was they were trying to get uh, medical isotopes yeah. from their centrifuges. I mean, when you, get, when you hear an answer like that, you're beyond ridicule. Plus, they have a track record of exporting weapon systems in a, in in league with uh, with with North Korea and and, and others, uh, uh, in 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 uh, in ways that are clearly inimical to the to the interests of the United States and all of its allies. But uh, the, the, whether whether it is whether it comes to correctly perceiving what real threats are or focusing on issues issues that are that are at the margins of our national security problems. Um, the, the administration rarely misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Perhaps nothing is 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 more signal to the to the global conceptual failure of the administration than than, than the insistence that at the heart of our problems in the Middle East, which is not the only part of the world where we have problems, the heart of our problems in the Middle East is the conflict between the the, the Jews of Palestine, that is the Israelis, and the the Arabs of of Palestine, that is the so-called Palestinians. As it, it, I, I, there are days when I believe Mr. Obama and and people in his administration genuinely believe that the key to to peace, achieving peace throughout the entire region, is it lies in resolving that conflict in some way or another. I, I think that that's a that's a, a wildly misguided perception of what the priorities. Our are. Secretary of State has been faulted by some for having put far too much interest in. Israeli-Palestinian negotiations when all the rest of the Middle East was coming apart. And when we were creating a great problem by a rather rapid uh, and sudden withdrawal, comparative, comparatively rapid withdrawal from the Middle East, do you think that we've been, uh, Mary, too focused on Israel-Palestine letting the rest of the Middle East go? Well, I, d- I think that those are two separate questions. Yeah, whether are. our focus on um, the... Palestinian and Israeli conflict um, is something that is one bucket and another bucket is what we're doing in the rest of the Middle East. And while, you know, in a perfect world, if, you know, if I were king, things would be different kind of thing. Me too. Isn't All right. Yeah. Um, you might have a different strategy for how to withdraw <clears throat> from Iraq. But given the fact, and this is a fact that when we went in to Iraq, the Army had a manual and the State Department had a manual. And the State Department had a checklist of, exa- of how to start and to go down and to run um, a civilian authority. And basically, the people who were running things looked at that and said, I'm going to do absolutely <coughs> the opposite I'm going to put 22-year-old Heritage Foundation people in charge of starting a stock exchange. I'm going to debathify. Really, who, who are you talking about? I'm curious. Oh, I don't remember the gentleman's name. But, but the he Heritage was 22 Fund- years old? Yeah, well, 23 maybe, but yeah. Oh, well. They, 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 yeah, they interviewed a whole bunch of people from that had Heritage Foundation backgrounds and put them in. One was in charge of, really? of, de- of uh, setting up a new stock market. Another one was in charge of deregulating energy. I mean, the whole thing was just a complete, utter mosh pit of disaster and it never really got any better so if you are going to say well you know 
let's do something. Let's do something different. That might be one thing to talk about to continue the thing that we had going on. There was nothing but a complete disaster and money just literally being kicked out of helicopters on pallets. And so with that kind of, with no oversight, no follow-up, no nothing, it was a complete disaster. So leaving a um, uh, a power vacuum, what is and was a problem, and that's why we have IS, or the Islamic State, it really doesn't have too much to do with anything but that. A lot of the people who are running IS are former um, uh, Saddam Hussein generals and colonels. Um, You know, it's it's the same old people. Every cause has a cause, and every cause that caused a cause has a prior cause. The fact is history is there. And even though I generally uh, conform to what is sort of a conservative view of things these days, appropriate for my age, if not for my intelligence. Uh, I cannot resist uh, faulting. This is entering another phase and looking at this histor- more historically than we've done up to this moment. I cannot resist faulting George W. Bush uh, and the invasion of Iraq. It seems to me that was one of the great uh, foreign policy mistakes that this country has made. Uh, if we hadn't gone into Iraq, I suppose Saddam Hussein would still be there, though who knows. And if he were still there, that's not good for the Iraqis, to be sure. But uh, the devils we let loose, uh, and they are still actively uh, operative in that area, uh, are um, represent a very, very high cost, far more than any we should have paid, including the mere financial cost. Yeah, I, I would um, uh, tend to agree with you. Uh, I think the uh, intentions of the administration were legitimate. Um, I, I genuinely think that in the environment after 9-11, uh, they felt they needed to be better safe than sorry. But Well, the major but, rationalization, of course, was that they had weapons of mass destruction. Right, I understand that. Uh, they might have weapons. I mean, they didn't argue that they knew they had them, but they might oh, have Oh, no, them. they argued— Absolutely. They, Colin Powell went in, yeah. General Powell went in front of the United Nations and said, here's the truck. Sure. Here's where it is. There was an absolute argument that they were absolutely, and, and they absolutely there and we knew them. where they were. And they absolutely had chemical and biological weapons, some of which remained and are killing soldiers now, both American and Iraqi who were yeah, there. Yeah, left over from the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, and, and others that were trucked to Syria, the hundreds of trucks and the convoys right before the American invasion began. But they didn't have an active nuclear weapon program. All I'm saying is that we chose to be safe rather than sorry, but didn't have any real plan to what to do after we basically kicked yeah. uh, Hussein, out, Hussein out. And, and, and that, that, that really was the problem, wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't. We, we, were, we performed brilliantly in, in bringing down the regime of Saddam Hussein. The, the, the problem was what to do after that. And again, Mary Hartigan is not far, far from wrong. Uh, we, we, we had this bizarre theory that we could bribe our way uh, to taking a relatively wealthy and relatively well-educated, relatively secular multi-ethnic or at least multi-denominational within the Islamic structure society and by investing shrewdly and pouring lots and lots of money into it, blended, you know, create in it some some uh, forward-looking, progressive, modern, uh, um, uh, polyglot, uh, well, poly, polyethnic and uh, polytheological uh, pluralist uh, is the word I'm looking for, uh, uh, modern Arab Arab state. It didn't work. 
Uh, we had we had no notion of how to bridge the gaps between Shiites and uh, Sunnis. We had no notion of how to deprive uh, the uh, vultures sitting across the border in Iran of opportunities to intermeddle in. And by allowing Shiite domination of, of, uh, of Iraq, we've now started up the great Sunni counter-reaction. We've helped Iran. In we've IS. clearly helped Iran. clearly helped Iran. And we have impelled uh, uh, a Sunni reaction to th- th- that is that is the fire under the kettle that is the Islamic exactly State. Exactly so. And, mm-hmm. and the growth of al-Qaeda elsewhere in the region. Mm-hmm. And at the same at the same time, we were completely blind to, to the opportunities to do things with the Kurdish population. We uh-huh. we resisted mightily all the blandishments of the of the Kurds for some degree of a greater and faster degree of autonomy than, than they received. Did nothing to prepare the, the, the to do spade work to make it possible. So pardon for, my for simple mind, to, Pardon to, to my simple mindedness. What should we do now? All of it. All of what? Uh, we, 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 it, it, Mr. Obama's dream is radical disengagement from, from this terrible, sucking region of the world. The villains in the drama, according to Mr. Obama, are the Israelis and his, his American predecessors. Um, the, the, the detachment and the disengagement with which he brings to the, to the, the problems end up making them worse. Um, it's, it's, it's well, we can't support Assad. <laughs> we just can't. And so now, but 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 it, but by removing him, don't you just leave another vacuum and make the problem uh, the problems in Iraq worse? I, yeah, I, I I tend to agree with Mary on this. I, I don't think there are any. Uh, Pretty solutions uh, to you, what to, we to, do to, in to Syria. Well, there, there's nothing wrong with containing the scorpions in a bottle in Syria, but what we, we what we do not need to do is let let these problems overflow, backflow into Iraq, sure. flow up into Turkey, uh, metastasize into the Arabian Peninsula. I, I don't know who to root for in Syria, though. I mean, the the, the free is, Syrian is there, is forces there root, is there reason to root for anyone? Yeah, let's bottle up the scorpions. Yeah. Well, how do you how given the physical properties of that border? How is it that you are going to keep the problems in Syria from washing over into Iraq? Well, you ought to be able to do a far better job with our putative allies in Iraq and our putative allies in Turkey in sealing those borders, for example. It's – I mean, honestly, you need to take a look at Google Maps. It's just – it's really not something – it's – you don't really even need a road there. If you have a good four-wheel drive, it's it's desert. I mean, there are the, the barriers just aren't there. It's not built up. One of the reasons why Iraq is Iraq is that if you look and see where the population is centered, there's they're all there's, on the rivers. There's nothing there. I'm going to give you something simpler. How do you handle the illegal immigrant? problem in the United States. I'm shifting to domestic issues. We, ha- we are right now <coughs> uh, uh, living in the face of something I think almost um, uh, new in American history. Though I, I suppose you could find examples of executive overreach uh, and executive uh, uh, threat to constitutional provisions. What about the internment limits. of Japanese, for example? There is one possible example. How uh, where maybe presidential power has been used beyond constitutional limits. But what about the present legalization, intrinsic legalization, though it isn't called that, 
of the so-called five million or four and a half million. And that's supposedly just a taste of things to come. Uh, There is reason to be upset about that. On the right, there is considerable upset, yet we now have word. You realize I've done a rather poor sleight of hand. I've shifted you from the difficult world to mere America. But there is considerable ferment right now in the opposing majority party. I speak of the Republicans, who now control the Congress. But there are really two Republican parties, obviously, and Republican leadership has essentially been signaling recently that they're going to go along with it. It's a fait accompli. The president did it. We buy it. We can't undo it. And the president himself said rather proudly in a speech just the other day, uh, there's no future president who could possibly undo what I've accomplished with regard to Medicare, or rather with regard to Obamacare which is far beyond Medicare. Similarly, he clearly feels no possible future president can undo what I have done to citizenize, I've just invented that word, uh, the uncitizenly who got in here illegally. What about all well, of that? Well, that, the unfortunate thing is, is that what the president has done is, 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 is not put people on a path to citizenship. It's he's put people on a path by, by describing how he's going to exercise or refrain from exercising his executive enforcement authorities. To remaining in the United States, but remaining in the United States. No, I States, think the ultimate promise still is citizenship. Well, that is not something that he can convey with, with his cell phone right. and his pen. That's a, that's a change in legal no. status that requires a change in law. Yeah, and we have a Republican. What, 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 what we he, have a Republican senator from Florida who laid out a plan for that citizenship years and of one or two years ago, which involved you got to really learn the English language, and you have to I don't know what else, but learn the English language, or we'll make you a citizen. George in George, time. George W. Bush had a had a. Uh, a clearly developed, designed plan to to reform yes. the, the the immigration process, which was which 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 was opposed by a significant chunk of his own party. You're correct in saying that people in the Republican Party are of two minds. That is, there are two factions in the Republican Party on this issue. I think there are two parties. There there is a there is a faction of the Republican Party that is strongly pro-immigration and and sees the free flow of. People like the free flow of ideas and the free flow of goods and the free flow of capital. And, and is engaged, as would is, you agree, in crony capitalism. One of the main reasons they want it is that it provides cheap and, and vast labor power to American corporate uh, organizations. That, that, that is certainly a reason why some people want it, but other people want it for reasons of principle because they favor the, the, the freedom that, that, yeah. that is connected with it. On the other, on the other hand, there are there are elements of the Republican Party that are as isolationist and as protectionist as some of the, as, whose principal allies on those issues are the are the are the anti-immigration factions of the labor movement on the left. Quite so. Who, who don't want the competition and for jobs? And increasingly, American blacks are beginning to but, feel that. But, but what, what, and express what, that. What a what a sensible what a sensible immigration policy has to do is is two crucial things. One is end incentives. For people to violate American laws, that is, and and the holding, dangling out the prospect. Well, you agree you don't do that by legalizing the illegal. I agree with that. Holding out the, you do, what you don't do is you don't hold out the prospect that, that there will, you will be rewarded for doing of more course. of the same. And the other the other end you, you need to do is is to is to make the the process of becoming an American legally much more rational, much more simple, much more less much less expensive, much less time consuming. We want to reward people who do things the legal way and not reward people who do things the illegal way. We've turned the system on its head. And, I am, and, and there's, there's vitriol to be poured over both parties for that. I am the child of immigrants. Uh, my mother, I remember my mother. My father uh, became uh, a citizen earlier. My mother, and I remember this from my childhood, uh, studied, worked, worried to learn 
whatever it is you had to learn to pass exams to become a citizen. It meant a great deal to her, and it was a, uh, an occasion of great celebration at our home uh, when uh, she uh, went through the, uh, the ritual, whatever it was, uh, and uh, was declared passed and eligible for citizenship, indeed became a citizen. Uh, that isn't the way they do it these days at all, nor will they ever again, I think. Yeah, um, a couple quick things. I don't want to dominate and give you a chance. The, um, um, I think there are connections between how the president has acted on immigration and the health care bill. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, in a sense, gave a gift to the administration by casting the fifth and deciding vote to be sure he on did. the individual mandate. Yes. Now you have the Burwell case, which is one easily correctable by an act of Congress. So in many ways— Remind our listeners what the yeah, case th- is. Yeah, this is uh, what's Jonathan Gruber, the MIT, my, my, uh, one of my alma mater's professors, uh, gave a bad name to the school, uh, basically called the American people stupid, said that the, in planning the uh, health care law, the whole idea was to avoid transparency because if people knew what was in it, they wouldn't have supported it. They wouldn't have had the— the 60th vote in the Senate. They wouldn't have had the extra few votes they needed to pass by seven votes in the House. And one of the key issues, and he's said it now several times on tape, they have him in front of it saying that if the states don't essentially set up uh, their own exchanges, if they don't set up the exchanges, they're not going to qualify. Essentially, individuals are not going to qualify for the subsidies. So they will be able to pick a plan, but they won't get a subsidy. That's what he said. Now, And that's what the statute says. Yeah. The statute says that, but it's the kind of thing normally that would have been in a corrections bill within the first few weeks after the bill was passed. But in part because of the way this bill was passed, there was enough anger on the Republican side that Democrats didn't dare do that because they were afraid they'd have to make some concessions in some other way. I think there's a fair possibility that because Roberts is unhappy with how the administration has dealt with the immigration issue, that he may very well cast the deciding vote on Burwell, forcing it to go back to Congress because it's an easy fix. What is the case of Burwell? And the case in Burwell is, will Congress allow essentially federal exchanges, essentially states that have not established exchanges on their own but are doing it through the federal program, that they qualify for subsidies. And that's about 35 or 36 of the 50 states. A case in point is Illinois. Illinois does not have a state. We don't have a state exchange. We rely on the federal exchange. And people get subsidies here in contravention to the Obamacare statute. The president wants to allow the, 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 uh, the subsidies to continue, uh, but the clear language of the statute as the lower, as a lower court has held, uh, it prohibits the, the, that use of funds. So the, this, is, this is a classic power of the purse kind of case where what the Supreme Court is being asked to do is to decide what did Congress say in this when it enacted the statute. I think Mary Hardigan is in disagreement. Yeah, Let's this is a classic why. mopes problem. So uh, in Seinfeld, when you're when they were looking at a at a uh, I don't know some kind of a card game or a thing, and 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 the answer was the Moors invaded Spain, but the answer on the card was printed the Mopes invaded Spain, and and because that was the printed answer, that was the only answer that was acceptable. And you're looking at something like this. I agree with you that in any other situation, that is, that was a, a, a you know, 
a misphrase in, and if you read it in context, you read all of the work that was done about it. There was never any intention that you would only be able to get a subsidy if you were, if you were, if it was just a federal exchange. Well, excuse me, that's where Gruber's important because right. Gruber says that uh, was indeed the intention, and that's yeah, after the some, fact he said that. Yeah. And, 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 and you're, you're stuck with the fact that that is exactly what the statute says. Unfortunately, for 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 Mr. Obama's purposes, the Supreme Court is not a an editorial board. It it doesn't sit as a board. <laughs> Really? It doesn't it doesn't sit as a board of review oh, of the really? statute. Its its job is to say what the statute means. Well, that 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 should be what its job is, but unfortunately, they haven't done a very good job of it. Well, and maybe they'll maybe they'll surprise United, us and do a good job of it in this Citizens case. Citizens United is a prime example. I mean, the how is idea. That a, how is that a Mopes case? Because it, it what it is is it's the it, it's the Supreme Court rewriting the law to conform to what its ideology of what should what, what, what law should was be. Rewritten? the the um the campaign finance laws and, and and what was the what was the uh, that there should be a, that there should be disclosure and limits what was the mopes i mean what 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 did the what what did the supreme court how did the Supreme Court? Well, edit it wasn't it? a Mopes problem, it but, a it was, problem. It was, but it was, but it was an ideological a... problem. And it's the same reason why they would take this and rewrite the, the Obamacare law to to have it. No, be... that, that, that's that, that's the, that's the great danger of of, of the of this of the Burwell case for Mr. Obama. It, the, 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 the court will not rewrite the Obama statute. Mr. Obama is desperately praying that they will rewrite the statute so that so that Congress doesn't have to. But if the Supreme Court doesn't rewrite the statute and lets the statute stand as written, then you have then Mr. Obama has this problem. He can't give the subsidies. Not if you read the entire statute as written. It's only if you rely in its isolation on that phrase. Will this in fact come shortly to the Supreme Court? And, yes. Mm, yes. And what is to be anticipated? I think you can predict eight votes, and the one you can't predict is Roberts, who has sought to the best extent possible, mm -hmm. uh, given the divisions that exist on the court, to try to create some level of consensus where he can. Uh, actually, the number of 5-4 decisions on this court has been lower than in uh, previous terms, and Roberts has had some success, I think, in getting a lot of decisions handled on what I'll call the, the narrowest grounds possible to allow the strongest majority to support a case. But some of the cases the division is just too great to achieve that. I don't suppose anything has been happening on the streets of the big cities, nocturnally or otherwise, uh, that will wind up in the Supreme Court. But who knows? Maybe it will. What the it I have in mind, of course, is the problem that has arisen just in recent months between the police and the broad uh, Afro uh, African American community, uh, more particularly the white-black confrontation between cops and black kids. Uh, we know that the grand jury decisions in uh, Ferguson and then uh, more recently uh, in New York, uh, referring to the Staten Island case, uh, and we know as well of um, the shooting to death of a 12-year-old black boy playing with a toy gun. I've seen the video on that. Across the street from his house. Across the street from his house in a park area and a police car runs up to him and shoots him dead. Uh, and there are yet other instances of that sort. And then uh, immediately afterwards, before they knew that there was actually tape, the police said that they that they told him that they stopped, that they asked him three times to, to put up his hands, that he did not respond, and that he reached for something in his waistband. And absolutely none of that was true. We were told 
at the time that Barack Obama was elected, that, well, America is entering a new day, a new age. American blacks now have the ultimate message. Uh, They are confirmed in their legitimacy. They're confirmed in their significance in the American story. And this will undoubtedly decrease black tension and black resentment, black counter-racism, one might call it. In fact, before any of this stuff happened, the stuff I've just been referring to, one already sensed uh, increasing, um, if not rage, at least uh, angry disappointment in the black world uh, of America, perhaps because their fortunes in the ghettos have not changed at all. If anything, have grown worse. Uh, Now we have, I think, a new exacerbation of black-white tense relationship in this country. What do you make of it all? Well, it all has to be unpacked. I I certainly agree that a a major uh, opportunity that Mr. Obama has lost or forfeited at least thus far is is indeed to have a a very positive impact on race relations. That was certainly a hope, I think, that we all had uh, coming into into his two um, – four-year administrations that uh, that he would exercise a strong leadership role in changing the dynamics, and 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 that has not happened. Uh, uh, he's 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 been a savvy partisan player of uh, the race card in one way or another, uh, but but uh, not looking at the big picture of what this means in terms of the uh, the long long-term health of the civilization, the American culture. Um, each of these cases has to be unpacked individually, and 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 you you. We, we, we run a, a grave risk of doing serious injustices to all kinds of people if that doesn't happen. Um, grand, the, 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 separate, the separate grand jury proceedings must be looked at separately. I think um, the facts of the two cases, the, the Ferguson case versus the Staten Island case, that have gone to grand juries in these in these recent weeks and exacerbated. But Joe, what I should have added and didn't uh, in my peroration in all of this is the kind of protest reactions we've been getting most recently. Uh, these marches, which are turning to be sure uncivil, at least in Berkeley, where I suppose uh, there's a precedent for that. But in general, it begins to feel a little bit like the '60s, doesn't it? Well, I'm 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 I'm, I'm getting to that. There is a there is a. Uh, uh, these are very different cases, and yet they've been treated similarly, the same way by by, by two sort of stakeholders, uh, the, the, the race baiters like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, and, yeah. and so forth, who have who have a lot to gain by stoking these fires, and and the media of all uh, ideological stripes who have a lot to gain by stoking these fires because it's something to cover, and it's a it's an easy trope. Uh, to 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 cover, and it's easy to it's easy to create images, and visuals, and sounds of conflict and, and lives being risked and lost, uh, in in the process. Uh, I, I'm I'm astonished at, at for for example at how little attention has been paid to what in a, in a sense was really happening in that Staten Island case, where capital punishment was being meted out to a guy for violating a cigarette tax law. Yes. Uh, clearly, clearly, word had come out from on high uh, that that this business of cheating the city of New York and the state of New York and the United States out of its tiny share, the, the, the 
pennies on the no it was uh, one of the it was, on, it was part on, of a broken on, on, windows loose, offense loose, loose dealing of no, cigarettes no it wasn't specifically uh, with regard it, to cigarettes it, 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 was, it, it had was one be. of the broken windows no no it was part of the broken windows you, you don't um, you don't go after a guy who's who's selling loose cigarettes with that kind of force with massive force with a half a dozen police well, officers let me, let me hear. unless 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 there has been as as it turns out there was an insistence by the local authorities that they've got to bring this loose cigarette business under control. Let me understand the broken windows comparison. What do you have in mind? Well, um, what uh, what it is is that you that you go after a, the idea. It's the theory is that if you aggressively go after small crime, small crime, yeah. and um, you know wipe graffiti off and make sure that all the windows aren't broken and are boarded up and stop the squeegee guys and stop the the kids drumming on buckets for money, then you so now we you add to that list. All stop that the guy peddling individual Loose cigarettes, cigarettes is part of that. It's it's part of the whole thing. It would be have been no different had he been peddling candy, or peddling, um, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, tacos. I mean, it could have been anything that was not um, uh, part of a licensed business. It was it 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 had really nothing to do. Yeah. The idea that it had to do with. That that you and Rand Paul have this great idea that that if only the cigarette tax went away, that he that that, that this kind of of not, police not, over enforcement cig- I mean, that's nuts. It's not the cigarette tax going away. It is it is it is a, a, a decision was made to enforce it aggressively, and and to and to enforce it with a to enforce it with a force completely disproportionate. Along with the guy. Who two years ago was asked a guy to stand up off his grandmother's stoop in a in a rough part of town? He was a he was a U.S. Forces um, uh, uh, veteran, and the guy got mad at him after he got asked the third time. Stood up and shot him, and the guy was an undercover cop. Guess what? No charges. This yeah. isn't this isn't something that happened this year th- this year or last month. It happens again and again and again, and every time. People like you say, oh, well, let's look at the individual circumstances. Look at this 12-year-old boy. His his dad is a bad person, so obviously he should have gotten shot. His mom is a bad I, I person, didn't, I didn't say so that. he should have gotten okay. shot. I didn't say well, that. I've, I've heard, I've heard no, no, res, no responsible person say that. What I'm saying is no, there's something wrong that. with the people who are in charge of the force, the, who, are in, who are in charge of the use of aggressive force. Why, why, isn't, why isn't there a focus of attention on people making the decision to use that kind of violence to deal there with There is, and they get away with, problems, with it again and again and again and again. Hold on now. Again. Richard Bear is eager yeah. to get in, as uh, he should per, be. First of all, in defense of the New York City police, in, when David Dinkins was mayor in 1990, the 2,261 murders, last year they had 312. So the city right. of New York, is doing a the great murder job. rate has dropped 85%. <laughs> the people who's, who are not getting murdered are largely black and Hispanic. So you can make a comment that... Rudy Giuliani and, and Michael Bloomberg have saved more than 10,000 minority lives and in all, New York City. And pol- all across America, you talk to African-American communities, they are in absolute, they want strong policing. They want more police on the streets. Okay, That's absolutely true. But do you yep. agree with me that black rage somehow is rising and was rising before these white cop, black kid incidents occurred? Yeah, let, let me just say. And what does that have to do with the presidency of Barack Obama? First of all, people are entitled to their perceptions. And because I may think the facts don't justify their perception, that doesn't mean they don't have that perception. There's legitimate anger among blacks and a perception that there's this sort of execution style 
police has force the around the country. Has not the Attorney General of the United States been working to increase that? I think that the, the Attorney General has certainly indicated his sympathy with the perception that there is a problem across the United States. And if you look at the numbers, there are roughly about 120 blacks killed by police every year in the United States. That's the average over the last five years. We actually don't have good numbers on that. That's the best estimate from the numbers that are accumulated. It's an estimate. We don't keep those numbers. So they're off by five or ten. That's irrelevant. Twenty percent of them are killed by black policemen. In Staten Island, three of the six policemen in that scrum were African-American, including the supervisor on the scene. So is that a racial incident? I don't think that's a racial incident. That may have been an excessive violence incident in terms of how the police dealt with the situation. But racial, no. This guy had been arrested 31 times, nine times previously just for cigarette offenses. The Cleveland case is atrocious. That policeman should never have been hired by Cleveland. He was fired by his old police force in Independence, Ohio, for being an incompetent and for being trigger happy. And yet he was picked up by Cleveland. I mean, if there was ever a case that's open and shut... It's that one. There was three seconds from the time he got out of the car till the time no, the kid three t- was killed. three seconds from the time the car arrived on the scene until no, the I kid agree. was killed. He, uh, he basically rolled out of the car and shot him immediately. Yeah, I agree. But then you get Ferguson, which is a case where a national media picked up a story by the accomplice of the guy who was shot, who was with him when the store was robbed and the owner of the store, an Indian, was assaulted and basically lied through his teeth which is rebutted by six or seven African-American I've witnesses got to push the three of you. confirm the police I've got to push the version. three of you back to what I take to be the still unaddressed issue, though I've addressed it, but you have not. I beg you please to do so now. What is the state of mind, the state of heart, the state of affairs, the state of expectations in black America in the inner city these days as compared to, say, six years ago? It's worse. Well, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to stand with um, Tahanisi Coates of The Atlantic on this one, which is just because um, white people have gotten less crazy doesn't mean that the problem is solved. And I don't really see it as the responsibility of African-Americans to stop ha- to, to, to solve a problem that is all of our problem. And so I think that we all have we all have to take steps. Yeah, I want to follow one thing, and, and this is where I think Obama has fallen short. The biggest problem in the African American community is the breakdown of the family. When Daniel Moynihan talked about that issue in the 1960s, 25% of African-American children were born out of wedlock. It's now 75 to 80%. And whites are now higher percentage born out of wedlock than African-Americans were in the 1960s. So this is a national dysfunction. The president is a role model. He has a good marriage. He has kids that were born after he got married. This is something he should be talking about constantly. Because if you want to change lives, if you want to improve Keep families stable. Keep kids with a father in the house. And I don't think that the amount of discussion coming out of the White House or the Attorney General's office on that subject comes anywhere close to what I think has been, to a certain degree, race baiting with regard to police misconduct, which is a problem in certain cases, but is not when you get 9,000 blacks being killed by blacks and 100 are killed by white police. What's the bigger threat on the street? for an African-American kid that he's going to be shot by a cop. Joe Morris, you used to be Assistant Attorney General of the United States, or one of them. Uh, what do you make of the comportment of the President's Attorney General? I'm pressing on that one because I'm, I'm dismayed by it. 
Well, you know very well that I'm, I'm disappointed by it. it, it again, because of, it, of opportunities lost. Mr. Obama and, and the Attorney General have had, have had wonderful opportunities. I mean, a real gift uh, uh, presented by the, by the American people um, in, a, in their strong majority uh, two times now uh, to, to say and do things that would change these dynamics. I agree with the proposition that the problems we're dealing with are problems that are not black problems or white problems. They're problems that we all have to deal with. And, and I, agree, I agree with Richard that the, the, the problems are, that transcend these, these, these simple transactions, these individual local transactions. Um, we, we, we see a deterioration of the, of the social covenants and the fabrics that make a, a peaceful, self-governing, decent society possible. Um, at the heart of that is indeed the, the unraveling of family ties <laughs> that, that have afflicted blacks and increasingly afflict whites. Um, and um, uh, and and that's that's the that's the start of this sort of anomie, this this uh, uh, deterioration of our of our social structures. Um, b- b- black people may well be resentful that um, after six years of the presidency, the chief magistracy chief magistracy of the country being occupied by a black man, that some things on the ground haven't changed. And some of the things that have not changed on the ground are are the incompetences and excessive force used by by police officers. Some things that haven't changed on the on the ground are the rapaciousness and, and predations of of criminals, many of whom are homegrown. Um, uh, the the uh, uh, desire to find a scapegoat, whether the scapegoat is the black boogeyman in the corner or the white racist in that corner, the white racist in that corner, is really unfortunate because those are not the problems. That are driving this. The, 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 pro- the problems are not are, are, are not those individuals. The problems are these these, these social defects that, for some reason, the, the president and the attorney general don't want to talk about. We approach the end of the available time. We've been looking at troubles, troubles in the Middle East, our trouble uh, for, by virtue of our withdrawal from the Middle East, um, and our domestic troubles, a few of them at least. Uh, what is to be said as we come to the close of this year about this year in American history? And that's our last round. What do you think? Uh, this year in American history has been? Uh, divisive. Divisive. Uh, and I think there's um, – you sense a corrosion of the social fabric, uh, which is why I said before, um, I may not think the facts justify people's perceptions, but people's perceptions are what they are. And perceptions right now are angry. And they're angry from a lot of people in a lot of ways, and it's not healthy. Joe Morris, this year in American history has been? Uh, we're, we're, we're seeing the end of the Obama era in the sense that the, the arc of what was perceived to be the, the path of change and hope has come to an abrupt end. Uh, whatever, whatever it was Mr. Obama is going to set in motion with a consensus behind it or building a consensus behind it is, 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 is now sort of at the end of its course. And uh, we have to look seriously at what the post-Obama world is going to be. Um, what's dismaying, what's disconcerting to me is, is that there are a lot of impulses in both parties and, and the president of the United States sort of leading the pack uh, to, to jigger with detach uh, and uh, d- d- dilute the protections of our constitutional system to, to make this work, these, these changes, these roller coaster rides work peacefully. Uh, the, the president's enthusiasm for uh, uh, unilateral action, his, his changing of his mind about what the scope of his unilateral, unilateral, unilateral action may be and the justifications for it uh, is, 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 is also disconcerting. A consistency in uh, fidelity to the Constitution has a lot to be said for it. 
And we end then with Mary Hardigan's response. This year in American history has been. Uh, one of the rise of radical partisanship where um, various forces seek to use fear, uncertainty, and doubt in order to obtain a narrow advantage for what they perceive to be their political and social goals. And with that, I thank the three of you. It's been an excellent conversation, but a troubling one, as I think the three of you would agree. And with that, we'll close for the evening with my thanks.